The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our DC. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. If you like our show, I encourage you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your shows. And if you want your own podcast, go to pod617.com to get started. You could be the next big podcast star, pod617.com and pod we trust. And speaking of the next big podcast star, I may have him on the line as we speak. So you guys know I talk about lawyers a lot because I have a law degree, which is collecting dust somewhere in the corner of my office here. Nevertheless, I have uh, an attorney on the line who is, he's been involved in college athletics. We'll explain that. And he's got a new podcast called The Attorney Lounge. It is Brian Roberts. He is in the house and let's wish him, let's wish him a proper by pushing the correct button. I can get the applause. (laughs) So I'm not perfect, Brian. How are you today? I'm great, David. Thank you for having me having me on the show. I love I love the energy. <laughs> well, I've got three hours on you because I'm in the Boston area. You're in Arizona, and so I have a slight advantage. But and and yet I'm still struggling through my second cup of coffee and not quite at full steam. But I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll get there. So I appreciate that. So Brian is general counsel for a comp- uh, litigation support company called Array. A R A A Y. Is that is the website array.com, Brian? Or the website is trustarray.com. Trust Array. Okay. Because yeah. because we do. And we'll get into that a little bit, but let's let's just back up. I, I know you're a lawyer who's who, like me, arguably have, have gone through a couple of twists and turns in your career and then doing something you enjoy now. And now with this website website, with this podcast, you're gonna let attorneys tell their stories. Do I have that right? And and what inspired this? Yeah, I think um, your story is actually kind of one that I'm interested in. I, I, <laughs> I really think that uh, people that went to law school, but aren't necessarily pursuing a traditional path of practicing law, that's kind of the, the, the sort of person that I want to talk to on the podcast. I think a lot of people go to law school and they say, I'll tell you why, why I went to law school. I went to law school because I didn't have anything better to do. (laughs) And so I kind of was like, I don't really know what I want to do with my life, Mm. but I can get three more years of college and go into all the dive bars (laughs) on campus and I can figure it out later. But you know, you go to law school and you're like, well, but you don't have to be a lawyer. So a lot of people do go to law school. I think knowing that it's going to help them in their career Mm-hmm. even if they don't practice law. And so there's so many people out there that have law degrees, but they're not necessarily practicing law and they're doing these interesting things. And I want to learn more about it. Well, tremendous segue because you, you've kind of pegged me in many ways. I, I was one of those people that I, I tell people I went to law school for two reasons. One, you already mentioned because eh, it's kind of a natural continuation of continuing to go to school. It's like mm-hmm. now I'm in the 
15th grade or whatever <laughs> or whatever that would be. I did the math yeah. wrong, but something like right. that. Yeah. Uh, and the other reason was my favorite television show was L.A. Law at the time, which mm-hmm. made every yeah. – and so – However, so I was told by many, oh, you can do so much with a law degree, you can so much, you can do so much with a law degree, which turned out to be spot on for me. I, I ended up having a career in journalism, actually, in, in the newspaper field because it was a newspaper mm-hmm. for lawyers. So I was a natural choice for that. And, and now doing podcasts is completely off the wall. But. Mm-hmm. You know, they say you can do so much with a law degree. And then when you get out, it did require a lot of patience and just kind of odd twists and turns for me to find where I really wanted to go. Did you experience something similar or how did it go for you? Yeah, I mean, I I, I just sort of fell into practicing law out of law school because I got, I always said, during my second year of law school, you do all these interviews because you're trying to find this internship between your second and third year. Sure. I ended up getting a job offer at a, a firm in Phoenix, Arizona called Snell and Wilmer. I got that job offer after talking about fantasy football my entire interview. Is that right? Uh, and so <laughs> I'm like, and these guys, the, the people that were interviewing me, we just sort of hit it off and then spent my summer in Phoenix because why not? That sounded pretty interesting. It sure. was hot, but it was a lot of fun. I got a job offer, came back. I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I really enjoyed the people in the business and finance group. So I started practicing in business and finance and I did, this was kind of right in the dot-com boom days. And so we were just full flooded with projects. I was doing M&A deals and IPOs and venture capital deals. And I just got thrown into the deep end of the pool. And so I just kind of went where things took me. But but I I liked business and so kind of marrying law and business was was interesting for me and then pretty early on working at a law firm I knew I kind of wanted to be in house mm-hmm. I, I grew up as a baseball player and I liked being in team sports I liked the team environment the the law firm world to me seemed to be more of an individual sport and I liked something where if if, if we all succeed together type of mentality so then I got into in house which I really enjoyed. And that sort of led to some business development opportunities and, and kind of different stops along the way. But that I I would say, I didn't really chart out a specific path forward. I just kind of went where the wind blew me. Mm. And I, I tried, I I just enjoyed (laughs) the process along the way. I enjoyed the people I worked with and, and here I am. So I don't know how much of that is intentionally ending up here or versus just kind of going where the opportunity led. No, it's like a lot of careers. It's, it's, you look at a resume and many people's, it doesn't make sense until you hear the story behind it. And it's just, and there's, there's a lot of figuring out to do when you're young. I, I, I think it's, I don't know if odd is the right word, but people go to law school and there's this system, there's this wheel that turns and it's like you're supposed to do these on campus interviews because all these law firms are coming and look at, there are two dozen law firms coming. It's like, Whoa, there are so many. I'm definitely yeah. going to get a job at one of these. I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing there <laughs> per se, right. but, but yeah. you, you, so it, it's the, the law, the law school. And I, I guess you could say it's just, it kind of is what it is. The, the law school, I went to BU. I know you, you are, you're a Kansas guy. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Rock, I went to KU. Rock. Mm-hmm. Rock Chuck, Chuck Jay Hawk. There you go. Okay. That's right. But and we beat Oklahoma this weekend, by the way, in football. Oh, congratulations. Oklahoma's the sixth ranked team in the country. So Oh jeez, you know I missed that. You got all right. Yeah, go. Yeah. Jayhawks. Yeah. Not normally known for the football program, but why not? Nope. So 
the the it's almost the the law schools I think don't do a great job of cultivating you for alternative careers, interesting careers, but it's kind of the nature of the beast. You kind of get it. It's it's they have relationships with all these law firms, and so and this, I feel bad because some lawyers just follow that path and they end up at the best law firm they can get at, and then maybe a few years down the road they're at a different law firm, and then fifteen years into it they're miserable. And they say, but they say, well, but what am I going to do now? I mean, what would I like to do? I don't know. I love music. I'd love to get into the music industry. But what am I going to do? Start my own band? No, I'm making this much money. I can't leave. Do you you notice that phenomenon? Because I know you deal with lawyers all the time. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, you see it all the time. You, You fall into that trap, I think, sometimes where the money is too good. You built a lifestyle around it. It's all and navigating the world of, of big law becomes kind of what you, what you're stuck with. I left after five years, uh, in a law firm. And I, and I knew at that point too, that if I didn't want to get to that point, I, 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 you know, selling your time for money, uh, can be a difficult way to live your life. Mm. And I was at, I wasn't so far into, I was far enough into it where I had the experience to go in house and be a GC, but I wasn't so far into it that I couldn't make that transition because when you're in-house, a lot of your compensation is equity. And so, but in a law firm, it's all cash. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to get to a point where I was making so much money. I couldn't make that switch and it would impact my lifestyle. So, I mean, it's just a different path for everybody, but you do see people that kind of fall into that trap of of the big law life and, and it's hard to get out of it. And you see people talking about it a lot more social media accounts and things like that, where people are, you know, talking about how do I get out of this? Yeah. How do I do what I really want to do? And, and I find those conversations pretty interesting and, and I'm hoping to talk to more people about that, um, on, on the podcast. Yeah. And I think what we'll find undoubtedly is that there's no one, like you say, there's no one recipe for it, but there, there are, if, if you want to make the leap, you can make it. You just, you just have to maybe be a little bit patient to be a little bit creative and for some people, it might be getting super involved in a nonprofit that they feel passionate about. Well, there are tons of nonprofits who will take your volunteer hours. So maybe you start by doing that. And then eventually, then before you know it, you're a GC at a, at a nonprofit that you care about. And wouldn't that be a dream job? That's just, that's a boring example. You're going to have better examples, I'm sure. So, um, so forgive me for not, we've known each other for a few weeks now and I I've, haven't asked this yet, but did you tell me about, um, baseball. Did did you play at Kansas? No, I didn't play at KU. I okay. played I played at a junior college in in Kansas called Butler County. Is that um, right? Okay. What yeah, position? I played infield. So my primary position was shortstop, but I also played some third and second. And kind of moved around. Kind of became a utility guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I uh, I was full of myself back then, and <laughs> and thought that I was definitely a D one player and. And played a couple years. I played those couple years at, at Butler. Really good program. Had a lot of fun, but didn't have any D one offers afterwards. And said, you know what? I, I don't think I'm going to make a career out of this thing. Mm-hmm. And at that level in college, it starts to become a job. It's pretty intense. And so, I, I kind of knew as I was finishing up my second year that I did want to go to law school. And one, just like LA Law for you, one of the impetus for me was reading the firm. Oh sure, John Grisham. Yeah. So I thought I was going to be Mitch McDeer and be a tax lawyer and go work for the mafia. So yeah. I was like, I better get, if I'm going to do law school, I better go back 
and, and get this thing knocked out. And so I went back to KU and got my undergraduate degree. And I, I, I did stay in sports a little bit. I worked in the, in the, in the mailroom at Allen Fieldhouse, which is where the KU basketball team, where the offices are there. So I, uh, I hung out in the mailroom and got to know everybody in the athletic department at KU. So that was a lot of fun. So, but no, I did not have a, too, too terrific of a baseball career. <laughs> I know it didn't work out the way I wanted. So you obviously bleed Jayhawk blue, but what was the, what was the baseball team you rooted for growing up? Oh, Kansas City Royals. Okay. I mean, for me, they were yeah. Frank White, second baseman for Kansas City Royals. I love that guy. I mean, he 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 was my favorite. I love George Brett and all those t- teams back then. Dan Quisenberry, sure. Uh, but rest in peace. But yeah, the Kansas City Royals were my team. Then they're still my team. So that, that's great. And they. Yeah. It's. I think I'm a little older than you, Brian, but I, I I have a friend that we joked that. Well, I think this started in college. We were we were in a communications class together, and we were trying to study, and we joked that we couldn't remember the materials, but both of us could easily recite the starting lineup to the 1980 Kansas City Royals because it was because that that would happen to be a very good addition to them. But we go think around. I could too. As a matter go, of Willie Mays Aikens was 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 involved. I think you said mm-hmm. Frank White. I'll yep. see now. I'm going to blow it. Was Willie Wilson in in that outfield? Willie perhaps? Wilson was our center fielder. Yeah. Oh yeah, he he broke the record for striking out in a World Series. I want to say. That, <laughs> he might have yeah but anyway and good thing we didn't have instant replay back then because there's a famous play. well oh, this yeah. is not 1980 this is 1985 in 1980 we lost the phillies in the world series yeah that, 1985 we beat the cardinals on a play unbelievable I, I think the umpire's name was brinkman and the play i mean they called someone safe when at first yeah i mean he was probably two steps from Yep. first base our guy was yeah i think it was lonnie smith but yeah so man see this is uh, this is how my that was our year i wonder if i've got this right i have a memory that the pitcher was todd warrell who was covering first yes wow that's, that's right gary yeah. that i remember that but then then i remembered so that allowed the royals to win that memorable game six and then in game seven joaquin Andujar went out there for the cardinals and first stunk and then completely lost his mind and it got ejected if memory serves good times yeah we blew him out we yeah. blew him out and that's at the end of it yeah that's where george brett like brett saberhagen jumps into george brett and he's carrying him around and stuff it's yeah those were good times yeah it's funny how you remember those teams yeah. i talked another buddy of mine who was a big detroit tigers fan same thing it's like we can recite these like almost every starting lineup from every team in the early 80s which was when I was really heavy into uh, buying baseball cards. Mm. And so like, I, you, you know, you get to know the teams. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you half. I, I couldn't tell you one or two starting players on any of the teams today. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. And I consider myself a big baseball fan, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe the, the, I mean, I think what they've done with the game recently is, is, is good steps in the right direction, but I guess the, the, there's no time like when you're those formative ages and you're collecting the baseball cards, but but you're yeah, right. Yeah, you just get I, burned into your brain, and you got yeah. nothing else to, to yes, worry about right. in those days. So it's kind of the only thing on your mind. Today we got a few other things right. to uh, to think about. So I know – so first of all, full disclaimer, I am playing a part in the Attorney Lounge and producing it. Uh, Pod 617 here is proudly 
producing Brian's podcast. And so we've already recorded the first uh, episode, which was with uh, Jamie Boggs, who was just a tremendous guest and the general counsel for Grand Canyon University. I know you used to work there alongside Jamie. Tell us what, what that was like working for a college in a legal capacity. Yeah, so and Jamie, Jamie's the athletic director there. Sorry. Let's yep. fix that, I was Nice going. Athletic director. <laughs> That's a, I, and, and I was the general counsel there for, for 10 years. And so, yeah, fascinating college, a school that went from almost closing in 2004, converted to for-profit, took private investment, uh, built a business a, around the university. They, they reinvested those funds back into the college and turned the whole thing around. The, they, what they did was they hired a, an amazing president there. Brian Mueller, who came in and had a background in online education at University of Phoenix and took sort of the lessons from there and married it with a traditional college campus. And now they're just doing amazing things. So today the, the university is thriving. It's got 20, 25,000 students, 18 to 22 year old traditional aged college students on campus and around 100,000 students online, fully built out Division One athletics program with I believe 24 different athletic programs and they, the, the campus has just exploded and the athletics programs are doing fantastic. And it was just a whirlwind of activity when I was there during those years as we were sort of building that thing out. And so I'm still involved with the university. I'm very much sort of a part of the, the, the campus sort of community. I'm going to games regularly. I talk to the mm. team there all the time. I, I left, but I kind of kept, kept one foot in the door. Sure. <laughs> just yeah. It means a lot to me and I yeah. love the people there. And, and so, yeah, as much as I bleed crimson and blue, I'm a, I'm a big GCU fan. I'm, I'm almost a bigger GCU fan, believe it or not these days. So that's great. Has any sport emerged as one that the school is known for more than others or. Yeah. I mean, men's basketball is really kind of the, the big one there. And we've, we've, we've been to the tournament two out of the last three years. Mm. The first year we got in, we lost to Iowa. And then last year we lost to Gonzaga in the first round. No this shame year, there. No, no, yeah. they're good teams. Sure. And our head coach is a guy named Bryce Drew, who oh, hit sure. the shot at Valparaiso when he was in college. And he, he's a good, he's a, he's a good coach, great leader, fits the campus very well. And it's got a really bright future. I think everybody, we have a really good team this year and everybody's kind of cautiously optimistic that if, if, things come together maybe this is a year we can not only get to the tournament but actually win a couple of games as well the first and only time i can recall the hook and ladder play working in basketball right that was the, it was it fantastic made, it was yep. first of all it was a darling story because he's coached at the time by his dad homer drew is that right do i have that right correct and that uh, is correct yep yeah and they they had like one second left or something so they throw the ball almost the length of the court to a dude who you think is going to catch and shoot, but no, he, he flicks it off to the right where Drew is waiting. Wow. That was, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, I don't, it's a I don't iconic moment. Yeah. yeah and I don't recall anyone ever doing that play ever again. I mean, I don't know, maybe yeah, the, they yeah. were the ones that got it right, but man, that was cool. Yeah. Um, and then the baseball, the baseball team is really good there too. The, the team, the baseball team just had a great season. They, they've been to the NCAA tournament, not they haven't made it to Omaha, but they've been to the tournament twice now. And last year they had the, the sixth pick in the draft, the sixth pick in the first round of the draft, mm -hmm. Jacob Wilson. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, 
Terrific. A lot of fun. It's a, it's a fun place to be. It's a great campus. If you're ever in Phoenix, I'd encourage anybody to stop by and, and check it out. I think uh, you'd be blown away. It's it's a great atmosphere and a great a great college campus. And Phoenix is an interesting market. Unlike Boston, there was only one prior to GCU. There was only one Division One school in Phoenix. I mean, Phoenix has what four or five million people, mm. and you got one you got one university. Right. So we don't have a network of universities in Arizona the way that you do in kind of the Northeast. And so there was yep. really a desperate need for a, a private you know, Christian sort of traditional university in Arizona, because there's across the entire state, only three universities, um, historically state universities. You got Arizona and Arizona state. And then, uh, Northern Arizona, which I'm actually in Flagstaff right now. My daughter is a freshman at Northern Arizona. So I'm up here right now. Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My son's at UMass where he is, uh, an athlete in the sense that he plays for the ultimate disc team which is a big deal in the northeast I don't, I don't know yeah does does uh gcu have uh an ultimate disc team no maybe i am sure we do <laughs> they are very big on club sports so yeah i would be shocked if we don't have a, a team there i and realize... actually gcu was really good at lacrosse too which is also a northeast sort of sport we won the uh, sure. club sports lacrosse championship of, oh of is that right league. all right well yeah. Yeah, sadly, Ultimate Disc is not a, an officially sanctioned NCAA sport, but my son, now I'm just completely bragging off topic, but my son plays for that UMass team and they went to the finals tournament in Cincinnati last year and, or technically early this year, earlier this year. And they made it to the final game and they lost to North Carolina, who apparently wins every year. But I got to see him on like ESPNU, like my son Griffin Yaz score a goal. Yes, it was, it was pretty cool. There's nothing that like, is cool. And that's, and that's club sports, but I, I can see college sports. The energy is, is just, it, it's something that is unlike pro sports. It, and I, I think, I mean, I, I have one occasion where. My wife at the time had basically a cousin who was, he was a foreign exchange student, but he, he was her cousin and he happened to, he was, uh, Serbian and he played for St. Joe's of Philadelphia. This is a long way of saying that we went to the, the, like the round of eight. That's how far they made it. But those games, I'll never forget rooting for him in those games. Some play against Rick Patino's Kentucky team. What is, this is a long winded question. This is a long way of saying what, what is it about? college sports that if you agree with me maybe makes it even more exciting than pro sports can be yeah i just think it's i think it's young it's young adults playing the game so they're not pros so there's there's sort of a i think a uh a heart to it i guess that maybe you don't have necessarily when you're just playing for money and and then i think just the passion and pride that people have in their universities as alums and and sort of the 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 crazy college days and the experiences you had when you were in college and the ability to sort of relive that for the rest of your life by cheering for these teams and, mm. and having opportunities to come back. I think, so I don't know. I think there's a wholesomeness to it that people like there's a pride in your, in your university. And I just think you layer all that stuff together and it, and it makes it something different and special that you don't really see in, in pro sports, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. It's hard, hard to describe. It's, it's unlike anything else in the world though. And it's changing. And that's what we talked to Jamie about on the podcast was uh, a little bit about how NIL and, and conference realignment are kind of changing that now. And some people, some people are seeing it as a natural evolution and some people are saying it's ruining college athletics, but, but it's happening nonetheless. I, I think I'm going to get to that in a second. Cause I want to ask you about the NIL thing, but 
I think you're right about uh, college sports. When you when you think about it, it's it's cool to watch some of these games and like what we know the blue chip players that are going to be one and done in college basketball, for example, and they again are are what they are. But there were like nine other dudes on the court, and there's some dude who's like playing six man, and that guy knows he's not going to play pro sports ever, mm-hmm. and right. he, and he's not he's and that guy isn't going to make money off of nil. So why is that guy playing? Because he freaking loves the sport and loves his school and that's that's like the heartbeat of college sports i I think it's it's what makes it great and it is those stories are just phenomenal yeah um yeah it's it's a lot of fun there's a like i say it's it's something that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world and it's pretty special here and i know people want to try to protect it and preserve it and but but then the market's moving in different directions and we'll see where that all plays out yeah I, i i'm in a way, I'm glad I'm not involved in college sports because there there are sort of problems that are endemic to college sports, and yet it, it kind of doesn't seem like there's a great solution ever. So to give you an example, we'll go right into NIL because I just want to ask you um, before we move on about that. But <clears throat> there was the story, I think I'm getting this right, I think it was Ed O'Bannon who was a great college basketball player at UCLA, and I think as the story goes, he went to the student center and goes through his pockets, realizes he doesn't have enough money for a cheeseburger. But then he looks up in the student center and his jersey is selling for nineteen ninety nine or whatever. And he just said, there's something wrong here. I might be mangling that story. But I always thought it was a crime, just a crime that these kids, there's so much money, multi-billion dollar industry off of them, and they can't even make a dime off of it. And now you can, but right. they've been. But it has been interesting to see some of the byproducts of it, and to which I kind of said, and now it's like you almost can buy players. And now I said, oh geez, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. I, I don't, like I don't know if I thought it through. But what do you think about it and how it's developed so far? Yeah, I, I think it's good for the players. I think it's the sort of concept of amateurism and and those things. I think is something that people really like and want to preserve because I think there's a wholesomeness to it that you're not buying players. But um, but the idea that these players can't make money off of their name, image, and likeness, uh, also, like, you got to understand that they they should have a right to do that. And so to artificially sort of in, prohibit them from using their God-given talents to, to make money on their own, it's it's hard to understand why that would be restricted. And so that that's, I think... At the heart of it, kind of the story you talked about with Ed O'Bannon, I watched a documentary on Johnny Manziel, same thing. Yeah. You're seeing coaches getting long-term extensions, multi-million dollar deals because he beats Alabama. He's a freshman, catches lightning in a bottle and becomes a, a worldwide international superstar overnight. And all of a sudden, Texas A&M is flooding with cash mm. from donors mm. and and everybody's making money off of what he was able to accomplish except him. And, right. and you go like, I don't know that that's right. And we live in a free market. And if people can, the, the schools are not paying the kids directly. They're using right. their own ingenuity to go out and, and make money themselves outside of what they're doing on campus. And so I, I'm, I guess ultimately I'm, I'm in favor of it because I think that it's, Anytime you put an artificial restriction on something, it, it's just bound to break. Yeah. And I think that that's what it's been for all these years is just an 
artificial arbitrary restriction on these on these athletes making money off of their name image and likeness yeah it it really doesn't seem right at all it's i'm reminded of something i learned in copyright law well it was like a moment where like i think it was even a law student who had like written a, a law review article and it was published in this what we used to call bulk packs that were anyway the point of the story is he went to copy it like a kinko's copy center and they said they wouldn't copy it he said but i wrote it and he said they said <laughs> yeah but you don't the, the copyright belongs to the school or whoever it belonged to yeah. any anyway so we're gonna play a round of good stuff before we depart with brian but just anything else people should know about the podcast and you, you, i can tell you you can find it anywhere you find your podcast if all else fails you can go to pod617.com it'll be right on our website but apple podcast spotify etc the attorney lounge with Brian Roberts. Anything else people should know about it? Not the, hopefully it's, hopefully it's fun and and interesting and entertaining. I I don't want to talk about necessarily the substance of law. I'm not going to get into, tell me about what you think about force majeure clauses or something crazy like that. It's it's hopefully about people um, in the legal industry and not all lawyers, hopefully bringing in some business people as well to talk about their experience with, with lawyers and, and sort of the, the legal sort of issues that you encounter running a business and, and, and then the people behind it. And so I, I really want it to be, it's in the legal field, but I really want it to be stories about people. And hopefully that's something that's interesting to different people. I, an upcoming episode, I have a buddy of mine coming on who used to be a big, a big, he used to do eating competitions. <laughs> yes. Now he's a, now he's a sommelier. And he's got a big following on social media. So he's an attorney in debt by day and he's a sommelier at, at night. So interesting stories like that, I think, yeah. what we're trying to bring. And, and hopefully people will will tune in and find it interesting. Mm. So I, I, you've got so much interesting things going on. We didn't even talk about your day job. But why don't you just, in a nutshell, tell us what Ray does and how people can find out more about what you do if they want to know. Yeah. So my day job, I'm the general counsel at a company called Array, like you mentioned at the beginning. And and we do litigation support. A big chunk of what we do is e-discovery. So we help people navigate the e-discovery process. I mean, used to be if you got involved in a lawsuit, you would turn over a couple of bankers boxers full of paper. Today, it's a, it's a massive forensic exercise to collect all the data because people aren't just communicating on email anymore. Now you've got a lot of chat uh, with Teams and Zoom and things like that. And so you got to go as part of the discovery process, you got to go grab all that data and then you got to organize it. You got to sift through it, determine what's responsive and what's not, what's uh, attorney client privileged. And so that whole process uh, is really a large IT exercise. And so we work with, with companies directly and with also with law firms to help them navigate that process because rather than having your, your, your lawyers do that, you really kind of want IT experts under sort of the 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 guidance of lawyers to to handle that process and so we're able to do it w- uh, way more cost effectively than you could otherwise do it uh yourself or by using your outside counsel and and I'm working with a great group of guys these are guys that I grew up with in Kansas fantastic people i would say our organization is sort of a work hard play hard group of people that really enjoy working together and enjoy solving problems for other people 
And so it's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. It's the first time in my career that I've not been the general counsel of a publicly traded company. We're privately <laughs> held. We're founder led. And, and so we can kind of control our own destiny and we have some great clients and we have some great projects and just great people. And we enjoy getting, getting up and going to work every day and doing what we do. You don't have a ping pong table on site though, do you? No, I mean, we're mostly virtual. <laughs> oh, uh, right. the, one, the one thing though, so we have a lot of fun, but it's more virtual fun. The But we do have 10 offices around the country and we do, believe it or not, we do copying and printing and scanning. Okay. And that's a real differentiator in our market because there's a lot of people that just don't do that anymore. And wow. so, yeah, but you know, it's as much as we embrace technology, when you're headed to trial, uh, a lot of these trial attorneys, they want their trial notebooks and binders and exhibits and things like that. So there's still a market for it. And we, we have, we have offices around the country where we do that. So there might be some ping pong tables in some of those offices. <laughs> yeah. I just haven't had a chance to visit them yet. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if paper will ever really make a comeback. I'm sure Michael Scott and Dunder Mifflin would enjoy that, but, but, but you still, you still need it. Like I just the other day yeah. I was going to the supermarket because I was going to make a batch of chili and I had the recipe and I'm, I'm, am I cutting and pasting? Am I take, I look over, I got a printer sitting right there. I said, come on. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Now you got your list. Yeah. I'm holding it in my hand. So God bless yep. you for that. Yeah. As so, much, as much as uh, we love technology, I still print things. I, me, I me still too. do it all the time. Yeah. It's, it's the yeah. tactile thing for sure. And I remind you that trust array is the website. If you want to learn more about Brian and everything, that he does. We're going to play a round of good stuff in just one minute. Before we do that, let me take one minute to remind you what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. It's pod617.com. It's where you go if you want your own podcast. Podcasting is a great way to connect with clients, prospective clients, your network. They'll be amazed when you invite them on your show and the radio quality pod that we produce will be sort of the gift that you give to them, and then they're going to want to tell everyone about your podcast. you see how it works, people? I mean, Brian Roberts figured it out. He's going to be a podcast star. Mark my words. Go to pod617.com to get started. It's the Boston Podcast Network. In Pod We Trust. God save us all if that happens. I'm sorry to jump on you. That's Pod Save Us All, Brian. Come on. Um, Pod Save Us All. Pod Save Us All, and let's play around the good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. All right. As it happens, Brian and I both have documentary films or documentary series to recommend. And Brian, I queue up the the trailer to the the one that you're going to talk about. And this is the part of the show where Zoom asked me to enter my password before I share my screen. Hey, Zoom people, it's me. I'm already signed in. Figure this out. Will you please? Okay. Rant over. Yeah, Brian, tell us about this. Yeah, I just watched this uh, David Beckham documentary on Netflix. I would highly recommend that. That was a fascinating show for me to watch. I'm not uh, a big soccer fan. I really don't know much about it. And very fascinating life, understanding kind of the thing, the trials and tribulations he went through in his career. I think of him more as like just a a celebrity personality and understanding kind of his background, how he grew up. And some of the things that he had to navigate, I found it very fascinating. Let's take a quick listen to the trailer for Beckham on Netflix. Tonight we bring you the story of how David Beckham became a global phenomenon. David Beckham, unstoppable. 
I never really did well at school because all I ever wanted to do was play football. My manager kept saying, try and keep it under wraps. So we would meet in car parks, and that's not as TV as it sounds. Classy. I suppose that most blokes have looked at the television and said, I like them. Don't fucking end up with them. <laughs> My life had become something different. We were worried that he'd lose all what he'd worked for. Because football come first, and all of a sudden it wasn't. Okay, David. Big smile. It definitely didn't change me. We changed. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> we'll break it there. That that's that was his longtime coach, if I'm not mistaken, or was yeah. it? I don't know. Yeah, no, that was his coach at Manchester United, who right. signed him. I think when he was 14 years old. Right. Yeah. The way it works over there, you get signed at a young age, and then they they basically own you. <laughs> it's cra- yeah, it's crazy. So they, that, I mean, in in some ways, that that coach that there that at the end of the clip was like a father figure to him, and someone that helped helped raise him for from like 14 to 30 yeah and there's uh, there i don't want to ruin this for anyone watching it but it i guess it's fairly common knowledge that early in his career while playing for england if i'm not mistaken in a world cup game he got the yes, red card england. yeah uh-huh. and he yep. got a red card which means you get tossed and your team has to compete with one fewer player for the rest of the game and it was and man yeah. and you look at the he became public enemy number one in his own country. And you look at him and yeah. the poor kids, like he was probably like 22 or maybe 24 at the time. Like he just, yeah, I think he was pretty young. I don't even, I think he, yeah, he was in his early twenties for sure. Yeah. And they were playing against Argentina, I believe in the semifinals of the world cup. And they had a team that they thought could win it and they lead up to it. It's everybody in England. It's like, it's their entire world. Right. And this Argentinian player said, I, I went over and, and messed with them. And I wanted to see how he would react. Right. So he intentionally comes over and clobbers Beckham. And like just like in American football, it's always the second guy that yeah. gets the flag, right? And that's what happened. And it would it, it just, I mean, a brief momentary lapse of judgment. And the funny thing is, is the Argentinian player just completely flops. Yeah. And they interview him on the thing. And he says, well, of course I flop. He's yeah. like, you could look at it. He, he hardly touched me. Right. But I, but, and so... Yeah, the, the only I, he drew the entire ire of his country, right. this everything in his life. I mean, David Beckham, it, as much as it meant to the country, it meant as much to him as well. Uh, and he couldn't have felt worse about it, and he had to go through that for years. Yeah, it was just a heartbreaking phenomenon that the country would turn on him because the country could have easily just as, as easily as turned on the refs because right. when when you watch the play, it's just I mean, so what. Beckham did reminded me of who, who was the guy on Duke who was a troublemaker? Grayson Allen. Is that his name? Yeah, Grayson Allen. Yeah. Uh-huh. He used to pull stuff like this. Like he'd be going up for a shot and no, I didn't follow a guy. But then when you look at the replay, his leg does kick out in a very convenient spot to like hit another guy in the groin or something like yes. that. And that's that, kind of, good. It's very similar. Yeah. But the, it's very similar. But the difference being the play had stopped. Like Grayson Allen was doing this during the middle of the play. Right. And guys would be driving to the basket and he would trip them. Right. The play had stopped. The referees yeah. had stopped the play. Yeah. He was, he's laying, he's flattened. Beckham's on the ground flattened. And this guy just is standing over top of him. So play has stopped and he just basically kicks at his leg. Right. But it wasn't, uh, it, wasn't Allen, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't vicious. This is, I mean, as a, you get caught up in these things, so you're kind of rooting for Beckham and watching this documentary and, Yes, it was kind of a BS move. Like it was, it was clearly an intentional 
something to either trip the guy or give him a, a message that I'm here. The guy flops. And then in American sports, we're used to, okay, what is he going to get a technical foul? So that's not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, one free throw, two free throws, maybe we're back on with the game. No. Yeah. He gets the red card and he gets tossed and they're not allowed to replace it. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like Kafka esque. Like I did this little thing and now I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like they, they could have given him a yellow card. I mean, this right. is probably the biggest game of all of these players lives. Right. And right. yeah. And, but the interesting thing is in the documentary, they never focused on that, which I what's it's obviously a pro Beckham series, but they didn't talk a lot about whether that was the right call. I know. Yeah. In that moment, they, he just basically owned it. Yeah, and he was hated. I mean, just hated. They were they were hanging him in effigy. Yeah, they, it was really really bad. So yeah, he he went through a lot. It's he's he's a fascinating guy. I think he has he has obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> they show him in his uh, house. Yeah, yeah. Some of the things that he did. and his and his yeah. wife, who of course is uh, for long known as Posh Spice from the Spice Girls of uh, Victoria. She comes. She comes off. Very thoughtful, intelligent, I thought. I did, too. Yeah. I thought she came across really impressive, sort of very much supported him through all of that, and but also kind of would get would give him the business when he needed it, too, yeah. which I thought was kind of fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it kind of profiles their marriage and how they went. And again, I kind of thought of them as celebrities and stuff, but when you see behind the curtain and you see kind of the, what, the things that he's gone through and how he dealt with it, I was pretty impressed. Right. Great one. Yeah, that is on Netflix. I usually play the Netflix sound effect because you have to. I said Netflix. Okay, good. Netflix, not a sponsor of the Boston Podcast, but maybe someday. I'll do mine really quick. Uh, it's a documentary, and it's also on Netflix. And <laughs> I'm just going to play a little bit of the trailer for Get Gotti, which is kind of what it sounds like about the mobster John Gotti. Let's take a quick listen. Back in the 80s, Paul Castellano was the boss of the biggest organized crime family, the Gambino family. Big Paul Castellano, dead. the most powerful mafia boss in America. The king is dead. It became apparent to everybody who had organized it, and that was John Gotti. John Gotti. Gotti faces multiple life sentences and up to 105 years in prison if convicted on all charges. John Gotti was going down. We had to get Gotti good. He was a man to be feared. We started surveilling John Gotti more. We had a guy who was great at picking locks. Inside the refrigerator box is the lock man. <laughs> I hear them talking about killing someone, the voice of John Gotti himself. The government says John Gotti is a cold-blooded killer. You're not a He was a gangster. <laughs> this guy is scary. Not for us. For us, it was great. Wow, was it great. New York in the 80s was a... That was Mrs. Gotti, I believe. Anyway, so I'm probably about two-thirds of the way through this watching it, and the I'll give you a sort of a clue as to why I think you will enjoy it, and Brian, not just as a lawyer, but as, as someone who's a fan of this sort of thing, but but in the same way that the, the TV show The Wire brought you into how the inner workings of a police operation can actually be pretty interesting. Because the, 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 were you a fan, Brian? I'm not, the Wire? The no, show? I haven't seen The Wire. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, one of the reasons I think it, it gained popularity is the very name of the show is refers to a wiretap and how the police have to jump through all kinds of hoops in order to 
get that wiretap up? And then once they get it up, how do they make the best use of it? How do they listen for the things that they're the alleged perpetrators are saying in code and things like that. So mm. you heard a little bit of that in the trailer. They had to, in order to bug the office, they like they bug Gotti's office. Then they realize Gotti is not even in his office. He's not having the real conversations. He's having that in some upstairs apartment that he borrows from some old lady that lives up there, of course, <laughs> because they have to be clandestine. So they figure out how to bug that. And so that part's interesting. I never followed the God. The Gotti was it was such uniquely a New York, New York thing. I think I ignored it when it was going on. But he is certainly was a central casting gangster. Looks the part. All kinds of bravado. So mm-hmm. if you dig the the gangster stuff, this is the real life version, and and I recommend yeah, it. I love I love that stuff. I, yeah. I I'm definitely going to check that out. Cool. I've watched some of those over the years, and now they kind of the fade into, into, into my memory, but yeah, I think too. there was one on Whitey Bulger that was pretty good. And sure. yeah, the sort of interplay between the law enforcement and, and the mafia in those days and the cat and mouse games between them. Oh was yeah. Fascinating. Just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And you, then you think you know, there are good guys and bad guys and then the lines get blurry and then, and yes. then, and then you have the Whitey Bulger story or the departed, which it was kind of based on or whatever. Yep. Well, yep. good stuff. We could we could go on for hours, Brian. Sports, docs, crime, all good stuff, <laughs> but we do have to go. So, I hope you had fun, Brian. I had a great time, David. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help in getting our uh, little podcast off the ground. It's a lot of fun. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. I'm doing something that I've never done before. And so, and I'm having a lot of fun doing it and and I really appreciate your help and uh, everything that you're 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 doing for us. So, so thank you. Thank And thank you. No, it's my pleasure. And I tell you, your, your first episode that we've already recorded, as as we speak right now, it hasn't been released, but check check your local listings, people, because if it's not up already, it will be very shortly. And it's The Attorney Lounge with Brian Roberts. And I'm telling you, you're just going to keep getting better. You're going to love it. Once I get you hooked on this pod stuff, you just want more and more. <laughs> I'm hooked. And, and as long as we're having fun, I think I think we'll keep doing it because that's what it should be. It should be fun. Absolutely. I say that all the time. Podcasting should be fun. Look it. It's still, I'm still in my second cup of coffee. I'm having fun today. Thank you so much to uh, Brian Roberts again. If you want to learn more about Array, trustarray.com. Go to pod617.com if you want your own podcast. And on behalf of Brian, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. And if you're not from Boston... You must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. 